This, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Hi listeners, this is Brent Sutton. Welcome to the 42nd episode of the Practice of Learning Team's podcast show. On today's show, we reunite with the hop nerd Sam Goodman. Sam has just published the second in a series of books with the Safety Sucks theme. I see Sam as being more than a safety anarchist. I actually call him my safety brother. Sam delivers a powerful message about how to make safety suck less and is very in touch with the next generation of safety practitioners. In this episode, we catch up with Sam on how his own journey is going, his current view of learning teams, and what his new book will bring. There's no such thing as a short conversation with Sam, so this pod has been separated into two parts. Please sit back and enjoy as we explore the ongoing journey of Sam Goodman, the Hop Nerd. Welcome listeners to another episode of the Practice of Learning Teams. And I'm joined by a good friend, or I'll call him a friend, Sam Goodman, the hop nerd. Welcome, Sam. Hey, happy to be here. And yeah, I'll, I'll definitely definitely take friend. People have called me worse. <laughs> well, I think I call you my safety brother, don't I? There we go. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and look, Sam, it's great to have you back on. And I just want to share with you that, that your pod is still in the top three of all pods that we've done. Oh, how cool. Uh, that's That's pretty awesome. Yeah, look, I'm not I'm not sure who's listening to them, but you are in the top three. So that's a great place to be. And cannot I, I cannot complain about that at, at all. It is an absolute honor. How about that? Yeah, and, and I think I think when I go to put this um, out to show, I, I think I'll give you I've been giving people different names lately. So I think mm-hmm. I'm gonna call you the safety anarchist. Are you happy with that? <laughs> I'm good with it. So I, I was I was called the safety anti-hero the other day. Right. I've been called the safety Antarctic or a- a- Antarctic. There we go. Anarchist. I'll get words out today, Brent. I promise. I'm, I'm, I'll okay. make sure that this, this pod isn't horrible. Um, but yeah, look, again, I'll take it. People have called me much, much, much worse. And that, at least that's accurate. Well, look, I, I think what I value about you the most, Sam, is the fact that if we are trying to do things differently, we need to talk differently. Sure. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. helpful, isn't it? It is. It is. We can't keep having the same crazy conversations that are happening out there. Well, you know, it's this idea that uh, that we've kind of been exploring around these parts um, around safety insanity, right? And it's back to that old Einstein definition of, of what insanity is, right? That we continue to do the same things over and over and over and expect a different result, right? And and we've kind of just landed on that, kind of tossing that around here at the the, the little tiny hot nerd studios <laughs> <laughs> of, of this idea of safety insanity, right? That, that we just want to do the same things that are giving us these kind of typical results, but we just want to do them harder and faster and expect a different result. And as you said, the words that we use matter. It matters a lot. The types of conversations that we have matter, right? They matter a lot. So if we keep just kind of pushing out the same old stale, stodgy, starchy kind of stuff, that's, that's all we're going to get in return. So, so why are we so scared to change? Why are we so scared to be different? It, it's easy to stay the same. Right? Yeah. I, mean, I, I think I think ease is definitely a factor. Um, I think as humans, we're, we're 
ultimately scared of change and as, as organizations. Organizations are just comprised of humans, right? We think about change in our in our normal day-to-day -day lives. It's it's a scary affair, right? To even small levels of change. So we're almost crippled by this idea, uh, just, just I think because it terrifies us. Right, so this whole sort of uncertainty equals fear. Sure, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that leads us down a more dangerous path kind of in their world. Um, where we really see ourselves kind of looking down the barrel of, again, what we've been tossing around is this idea of safe mediocrity over risky innovation, especially as it relates to the safety space, right? We, we lean into comfort, right? Comfort is exactly that. It, it's comforting to us. It's, it's the opposite of scary change, right? And it leads us down this path of just doing those same things. As we said, trying to do those things, same things harder and faster because they're the, here's the air quotes that you can't see because my camera doesn't work, <laughs> but sure. the tried and true proven methods. Right, yeah. but we always forget, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not beating up on on those things too bad here, but we have to understand that, you know, the result that we get, right, it's it, it's it's tuned exactly to give us the results that we're getting, right. So right. If we're trying to do those things harder and more of them, right, trying to dose those same things just at, at a more exorbitant dose, kind of every time we have something bad happen, it's still just going to give us the same result in the end. So, so here's the interesting paradox. The, the definition of risk, of risk management is the effect of uncertainty on objects. So it's all about the uncertainty. Yet when we manage risk, whatever uncertainty we leave behind, which is what we call net risk, is what the workers have to face. Right. Yet workers aren't afraid. No, right, right, right. But why, well, why is the organisation afraid of uncertainty when workers aren't? Yeah. Well, and... <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I, th I think I think the the workers ultimately live, and again, not not to bash on our organizations too much, but the workers ultimately live in what we would probably coin as the real world, right? They manage all of this stuff in real time, right? They're there on the pointy end doing this stuff. A lot of times, we view safety kind of back at the more blunt end of the organization in our in our well appointed conference rooms kind of looking down on the organization as something that we should do to people right and in fact you know our workers are out there making these things happen in real time as they go right so they're used to adapting and overcoming and figuring stuff out and making do and figuring that stuff out and more often than not they get it right they get it right 99.9 percent of the time right they're great problem solvers and look i was talking to todd conklin the other day and he he said to me Organizations have short memories. Workers have long memories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I think I think that even I know this might veer a little bit off subject, um, but kind of circling back to something that we, we you mentioned at the beginning as we were kind of talking about the conversations that we have, the words that we use, the ways that we present things, right? I'm sure you've seen this as as you kind of venture around in organizations. Um, and it's a really easy example to use maybe not so great stuff that has happened in organizations, maybe not so great experiences that employees have had, you know, V organization. Um, but it's almost this form of industrial folklore <laughs> that exists within our organizations. Again, workers rarely forgive and they never forget, right? Yeah. They rarely forgive, they never forget. And not only do they never forget, they pass down those things throughout multiple generations of the workforce, right? You can have something that's 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 happened in an organization 20 plus years ago that the green hand that has just gotten here a week ago is already aware of 
this. They're already full aware of it, right? And not only that, but again, back to practices and, and, and the ways that we actually accomplish things, that stuff's handed down, right? The unwritten, unspoken, I guess it's kind of spoken, but the unwritten ways that we actually get stuff done versus the way that the organization believes that we get stuff done, right? It, it's passed down through our, through our employees. Oh, okay, absolutely. And, and just recently, we sort of um, sometimes people still struggle with this notion of workers imagine and workers done. And, and we sort of say to them, think of it as being the thought state versus the current state. Right, right. And, what, and, and I, I like to challenge folks to go out and to purchase some from IKEA. Yeah. Right? <laughs> to try to put it together as planned and, and see how you actually accomplish the task. It's, it's not much different, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So like everything, Sam, um, time has passed. Mm. And how's your journey going, particularly around learning teams? You know, how, how have you evolved and developed over time? Well, for, for, for me in particular, and, and I'm, I'm looking at this, this, again, this beautiful, well-appointed studio with this beautiful copy of Safety Sucks up on your screen. And the, the, the one way that for me that I, it's personally evolved, um, in particular around kind of the safety profession itself, is this kind of realization, this kind of duh moment, right? That safety people are, are just people too. <laughs> we, we, we forget that a lot of times, right? Just, just people, just people, right? So as we kind of go out and a, and a big part of kind of the, the next book that I'm sure we'll get to in a second, has been having conversations with other safety practitioners and, and learning from them kind of in these little impromptu, I don't know if I'd necessarily call them learning teams, but just these open discussions around how do we make safety suck less, mm -hmm. right? And then kind of from a more organizational perspective, I guess, um, for me personally, seeing the power of learning teams, and, and let, me, let, me, let me back up just a second and say that as organizations, we like to take stuff and as we were kind of saying, we, we like to create this solid line of how things should happen within our organizations. And many organizations, especially the ones that I'm around, I, I come from power generation and utilities. Um, we are very command and control, very procedurally driven, almost to a fault, sometimes to a fault. <laughs> right? To where when we take stuff like learning teams, it's really easy for us to almost run it into the ground by trying to proceduralize it to death. Right. So to see organizations kind of shift and embrace this idea of using learning teams uh, in a less formal way has been super powerful to me to understand that the learning team doesn't always have to be this sit down big to do thing, right? And I'm, I'm not discounting the planning and all the kind of other stuff that goes behind it, but to see as certain organizations that I'm around kind of mature in their journey with learning teams, to see them just kind of start happening more organically at a much lower level in the organization of teams just using that similar approach to solve problems that just their team has. Yeah, just, whole just there. Dialogue. Yeah, just 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 in a break room. Right? Yeah. But once again, just, and, yeah, and, and that's what we call an everyday learning team. It's that, mm. that register dialogue. Yeah, and and that everyday learning team is really what workers learn from. Mm. But the trick is, and, and and I was just having a chat with Gary Wong this morning. Um, the the problem that we've got is, how does the organisation capture that narrative? in a way that doesn't place the load back on the worker. So this whole, um, should I say, bullshit of reporting. 
Um, we don't want people to report to the organisation about that. We, we want them to have that rich narrative, but we need a way of being able to capture that rich context of information so that the organisation can do something with it. Otherwise, it gets lost. Because You're, how can the system improve if it doesn't get feedback? And I, I think I think you're you're scratching at probably the million dollar question that most organizations have. Yeah. Right. And because there's a fine line, kind of as you mentioned, you don't want to create more burden for the folks, right? You you don't want to create more barriers to entry to the process, right? In in many situations, we want to try to make it easier to do a learning team than it is harder to do a learning team, yeah. right? Now, many organizations get on this path of just saying, well, we'll just write a rule that says they have to report them, right? And we're completely oblivious to the fact that all reporting, no matter how many golden rules we write about it, is ultimately voluntary, right? We, it's up to the employee. It's completely voluntary if they choose to report things to us or not, right? We, we can pretend that it's not. We can write rules that say that we'll fire you if you fail to report things. But again, voluntary, right? So I've, I've seen and I've worked with several organizations that have embraced that. Right, that have gone down this idea or gone down this path of this idea that says we want to create an environment in which people want to report things, not that they're forced to report things. And they've done some things that are kind of interesting around this idea of um, share walls, right? Kind of in their intranet for their organizations where think Facebook, right? Where you post stuff. And it's that simple, it's free form, not a form, right? Just a thing, share your thoughts and feelings basically. <laughs> Right? To where post post learning event, no, no matter what learning tool that they use, they can basically share that with the rest of the organization just instantly. Just just it can be one line if they want to be if if they choose yeah. for it to be one line. But it's this idea that this employee, this person, whether it's a frontline employee or it's a, it's an executive director or vice president, post learning team, post whatever, right? How, however they choose to learn, they can go in and just just share it and just share it, right? And for me, I've seen that to be pretty powerful. I don't know, ultimately, again, this is all pretty experimental right? within most of these organizations at the moment, but to see that kind of coming to life with this idea of them accepting that as voluntary, creating an environment in which they understand that it is, and, and they help to encourage folks to go down that path rather than trying to kind of stick and carrot them down that path. And then to see employees actually start to use that because not only not only do they see the learnings that, that they find valuable there, you know, the ones that they're sharing, but they can actually go in and just browse through and kind of see what's coming from everywhere else. Right. So for, for me, it's that I, I totally agree with you. The, the fatal flaw there for me, though, is a lot of times kind of back to what we said at the beginning, organizations try to force that sharing. And a lot of times the share becomes more important to us than the learning itself. And we kind of ruin everything at that point. Yeah, that's like we're looking for that metric. So, so yeah. by the way, we, we, we call that opportunity for improvement. Mm -hmm. and, and, and what we have found, uh, unless there's actually some feedback loop, people won't bother. Sure. Yeah. Uh, because like, like everything else, what, what's what's happening is that if you think about your industry and where you've come from, these people have really developed this really great, what we call problem solving skill, this innate skill to be able to do these things. And when they're, when they're sharing those learnings, if they don't get feedback from those learnings, why would I bother to share again? Sure. Yeah. I'm, sh I'm sharing for a reason. And for Absolutely. some people it might be that they're wanting recognition. For some people, it might be because they think they're doing the right thing. There'd be many reasons why, because that's about us being humans. 
But right, if there's not right. some form of acknowledgement or feedback, then then it becomes wasted. Now, you know, I, I think from my perspective, what's amazing is that we're gathering all this great business intelligence, but it has to lead to something. So what you might be interested, Sam, is that we're uh, actually, tomorrow we're releasing a trailer of a documentary about um, everyday learning teams with a group of workers in, the, in a construction environment. And on April the 19th, we released the, the full documentary that we've recorded, mm. which basically looks at it from the eyes of a worker about how to engage with rich, rich conversation, how that conversation can be um, expanded on during the day, and then how those learnings can be taken by the organization and used for good. And because, because uh, you know, a lot of well, you, you, you're micro experimenting. Many people are micro experimenting, but people keep asking us, "How how do we do it?" Right. It's the how. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, so we decided. Well, the best way to do that is to is to show people how. Sure. And we, we've created this thing, and, and I was giving Todd a wind up. We we created what's called a magnetic thinking frame. And um, I've got it on the on the front of a truck, on, on the, um, the the hood or the bonnet, as the English would say, of a truck. <laughs> and the workers are around the bonnet, and, and all the thinking frame does is it's basically got four quadrants. And those quadrants, the framing of it is to help them weave a narrative. So it's helping them to understand, uh, you know, what what type of um, uh, uh, sort of. Uh, environmental or, or situational things that we're having to think about today. Uh, what types of tasks, activities are we are we planning to do? What types of um, you know plant and equipment are we are we going to be involved with? And what type of people and protection do we need? So the framework is about trying to weave a narrative because um, some people you know with a learning team, a learning team lives or fails based on the ability of a facilitator. In the field, you don't have that anymore. You don't have that facilitation ability. So how can we frame it for workers so that they can have that rich conversation? That makes sense. Yeah, and absolutely. It's been really interesting because what we didn't realize is the guys took that. So they used that as a planning tool in the morning. And it was great because they just get the marker pen out. They write lots of stuff on it. But then they took it off the hood of the truck and put it on the side of the truck and then used it as a progression tool during the day for feedback. Wow. And at the end wow. of the day, they then basically all had a quick three minute get together and they did a reflection and they talked about where did they have to make do? Yeah. Now, Wait. that all happened by themselves. No one was there to coach. No one was there to do anything. It happened by organic nature. Well, I, th I think a lot of what you're hitting on there, it's, it's interesting to hear that structure. I, th I think that's really powerful because what we fail to see a lot of times is a lot, a lot of what we're talking about kind of back to the point, you know, that, you know, our, our, our employees that actually do real stuff, the real stuff in our organizations, that they already do a lot of this stuff already. 
right? They already do a lot of this. If you walk out into, again, I'm, I'm a power plant person. If you yeah. could be a fly on the wall in a crew and they don't know that you're, you know, the safety professional or person or someone from corporate or, you know, whatever, right? One, one of those bad, mean people. <laughs> if you could just witness what actually happens. Because um, again, I, I, I grew up in power plants. I've kind of been on kind of all ends of that spectrum. <laughs> as it relates to working in power plants when they get to kind of back to that kind of full loop of learning that you're kind of describing because you get to the end of that day and i'll just use this as a particular example they have those conversations right well that went to shit <laughs> how can we make sure that that doesn't happen again yeah right? well that was a lot harder than it should have been okay here's how we're going to deal with it tomorrow right so kind of back to the back to a lot of what you're sharing is it's the organization it's our responsibility to make that even easier right to support them in what they're doing already in a lot of ways when we come in as the organization a lot of times we think that we just have to change everything right we just walk in and we think well it's all it must all be crap right so they must not be doing any of this kind of sort of stuff that obviously they're just not doing it when in fact often they are right so it's it's we're almost doubling down into learning yet again here and saying we should go out ask them what they need, right? Ask them how you can better support them in the, the great things that they're already doing. And, and I think kind of even going farther back into some of that conversation, you hit on a really critical point around feedback loops in general. And as organizations, we kind of just neglect feedback, feed, feedback, feedback loops. Again, I'll get words out. Feedback loops kind of in it just, just in general, right? We, we just kind of leave that part off in a lot of ways. And I won't say all organizations, but, 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 but a, a good chunk of us have or do, right? Um, and I think you hit one of the most powerful pieces there is that if someone is taking the risk, and it is a risk, if someone is taking the risk of sharing something with the organization, right? It, it, they're taking an interpersonal risk by sharing. It is the most important thing to them at, at that time in, the, in, their, in their existence, right? If they're willing to take the risk to share it with you. So as organizations, we have to understand that it is a risk that they're sharing, right? And we have to understand that it is, if it's at least in the top five of their most important things for the day, right? <laughs> if, if they're taking the time to share it with you. So just that general acknowledgement to start with is super powerful. Because again, um, I share this with leaders all the time because you know, you're gonna have an employee uh, and I'll, I'll just use a one-on-one -on -one as an example, right? That's going to come up to you and say, hey, you know, I don't like the ply of the toilet tissue in the bathroom, right? And it's, it's really easy as a, as, a, as a leader to go, oh, whatever, leave me alone, right? <laughs> right? And that's a really, really dumb example. But just by dismissing that employee, they're highly unlikely to want to share anything with you in the future, right? Yeah. right? Again, just, just, just based off of that interaction. And then to kind of go even farther, just to have that that loop to where we circle back to them, we involve them in whatever we're trying to, whatever it is that they shared with us that hopefully that they would like to see better, right? We have to involve them throughout. Uh, and at the very least, right, if it's something that we just as an organization look at and say, well, that's not something we can really deal with right now, to at least explain why. Right? Oh, okay, because absolutely. I mean, I'd be asked the question, and what ply of paper um, would you recommend? For sure. Yeah. <laughs> What's the problem? We haven't. Is it? Yeah. Is it? Is it? Is it? Is it too thick? Too soft? To breakthrough issues? I don't. I don't know what's going on here, but we. <laughs> right. But so often, so often it's it's right. So often it's easy because that that's that's the kind of that that end. That's the that's kind of the the end of the spectrum where it would be. Well, oh, I don't have time for that. That's useless. 
right? But on, on either end of that kind of spectrum, whether it's super challenging or something kind of as I'll just say dumb, I'll just lump that. Okay, I'll, I'll label that as dumb. We'll label that as something dumb. Um, but it's it's easy to be dismissive with that one and just say, well, whatever, I don't have time for you. We, we might say it a little nicer than that. Or if it's something extremely challenging, we'll just say, oh, that's too challenging. We definitely can't do that. And then we'll just walk off and wander away from the employee and, and never follow back up. <laughs> Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, so one of the sexy things, Sam, that we're that we're going to show on the Stocko is that the guys have done the stuff on this um, think, magnetic thinking frame, which is mm. great. And all they do is they hold their phone up to the QR code, and it captures that data. And they then feed into their their make do component, whether it be uh, voice, uh, you know, whatever mechanism they want to use. And right. what happens at the back end? There's an AI tool. And the AI tool basically then strips out keywords and it turns those keywords into word cloud. Hmm. And the AI tool is also then looking at those words and it's giving them a sentiment. So it's basically saying, are they using positive language? Are they using negative language? Or are they using neutral language? And this dashboard then creates the story for the organization to use and to then become curious on. because. If they keep hearing across a whole number of jobs that um, equipment's being late on site or, uh, you know, resources are down because people are, are un unwell or the fact is they're using language about, you know, dealing with this bullshit every day, that is powerful intelligence. Absolutely. Um, and Absolutely. Which, no one individual is identified, if that makes sense. Right. What's yeah. identified yeah, is, is the project or the job and the team, because being curious should be about, so why are these work teams facing these issues? How well, can I, I we think, improve the system to support successful work? What One piece that I kind of pull out of that that you just said is that it's something I find really intriguing is this idea of gathering tone, mm -hmm. right? Because so often in our world of safety performance right we we want these extremely pinpoint and we at least like to pretend that they're precise precise measurements right and for me and for most safety practitioners when you walk into a location when you're kind of hanging out and doing your thing in a power plant as an example tone matters and, and it matters a lot and so to have the ability to to gather that from the, the pointiest of the pointy end, right, in, in a more precise manner, it's pretty interesting to me. Just just because this is the first time I'm hearing this, so this is this is total fresh Sam reaction, yeah. right, for, for the listeners out there. This is different. This is different. Yeah, yeah. And, show people a different way of doing something, where the primary intent is for workers to learn about variability and to build critical thinking skills. That's 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 what's happening at the worker's end. But what we then capture is then used from an organizational point of view to basically start to see when these patterns are being formed that might tell them that, that the system needs to be informed or needs to be um, improved. Does that make sense? Because they're getting Absolutely. that misalignment happening. Well, you're 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 finding a way to interpret the signals from yeah. your systems. Yeah. So they're not right. metrics. They're not um, they're not measurement tools. They are sentiment and language. Mm. 
I love it. <laughs> that's, I think that's super. I think that's super neat. We think it's sexy. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think sexy is the right word because in our world, it's very rare that you find something that I would categorize as sexy in the world of industrial safety and health. But I think this is it. <laughs> I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure that this is it. The hardest job for the worker is to point their phone at the QR code. Yeah, yeah. Well, and 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 that that's that's so powerful to me because again from the organization's perspective. So often we forget that people are really freaking busy. <laughs> we, we, we kind of, we take our reality, right? From our office or from our corporate headquarters or from wherever, right? Let's just say, I'll just say cozy, our cozy reality compared to the reality a lot of times of our, our, our front end employees, right? Of our sharpened employees. And we try to pour that reality down upon them as well. We'll go, well, I have, Free 20 minutes of the day that I could kind of do this or that. Surely they do too, right? And we forget that, in fact, our folks are out there GSDing, right? They're getting stuff done. I'll just use yep. stuff. Um, but they're, they're getting stuff done. And anything else that we add in there, especially in the hierarchy of importance, if we throw out a piece of paper and say, I want you to write down all this stuff for me. And then I want you to take it and I want you to, because we're a super old school, right? I want you to fax it to me. <laughs> and then not only do I want you to fax it to me, but I want you to send it over to the safety department and to your leader. And then your leader needs to retain it for a hundred thousand years after we're done with this as well. It's just not going to happen. Right. And I think, I think that's a part that organizations have to accept is that if it's inefficient and the workforce views it as, as not adding value or dumb, they're just not going to do it. Right? Or they're going to find a way to make you think that they do it. <laughs> they're going to create efficiency right on their own. So the best thing that we can do is try to make the process as easy and efficient at the beginning, right? Make it not suck. That's kind of like my, my rule number one, because <laughs> I think that just covers a lot of those bases. If you just make make a process not suck, right? And again, so when you're when you're talking about this, point your phone at it. You're done. It doesn't get much easier in our world than that. Yeah, right? So I, I really, I really appreciate this idea of embracing kind of technology too to make work a little bit easier for our people. Well, the, I mean, the technology gives us a whole lot of other type of data that's powerful. But what we also found, Sam, through this process, was that we're not asking workers to make judgment. We're simply asking them to share their thoughts, their thinking. And what was also interesting is that because that's happening in a team environment getting feedback from others so we're actually already getting that 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 need that we have to be recognized that that you know to be respected to be valued all that stuff is actually happening within the team and that's what i think is really powerful because at the moment uh just i was talking to todd the other day every third word is psychological safety at the moment absolutely yeah <laughs> yeah <sighs> you know <laughs> i'm not What's too sure. a- so yeah. I, I will say this though, and I get it. Look, our world is full of corporate buzzwords, right? It's it's there, right? It's buzzwords from the hip. I, I get it. I, I I do have to say though, and because I, I do the same thing, I'm like every every other thing is is PS, right? Everything. But I will say on a positive note that at least we're having the conversation now. Oh, which, no, is, which, is, really which is which is super way way better than where we were at. It's really but important. for 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 me, I just I I, I quit kind of using that word in particular. I, I even quit using trust 
because in the organizations that I work with, it's this constant conversation of why, why don't our employees trust us? We keep telling them to trust us. Why, why won't they trust us? And so I've kind of gotten to the point, I don't know if it's evolved or, or devolved <laughs> to the point of saying that put all that aside, just the only kind of piece of that that we need to focus on is how we create environments in which honesty is possible, period. Right. I'm 100% with you. I mean, we talk about um, trust can only come from respect. Mm. Respect can only come from value, perceived value. Sure. You know, yeah. And if you don't have those things, then trust can't can't exist. And I, I'm not sure how valuable trust is at the end of the day. Uh, I suppose what we were focusing on was that um, from an adult education perspective, because, you know, we, we have a bit of a, you know, a background in adult ed amongst us all. Um, was something called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. And it basically said that, it, that if you want adult learners to grow and prosper, um, part of that, that need they have is around that psychological safety. And that's been around for decades. Sure. Learning only happens if people feel that the environment is safe for them to learn from. Right, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so, you know, this, this whole conversation, I mean, what we are trying to focus on is how does the organization create the framework for psychological safety to exist within a learning team? Mm. It's people that determine if it's psychologically safe, not the organization. Right, exactly. Yeah, and, exactly. It, it, yeah. And it's, it's going back to, you know, and kind of where we drive organizations frequently, right, is back to the underlying assumptions that the organization holds just in general. Right. So kind of creating that environment in which honesty is possible. Right. Kind of kind of leaning into that notion. I can say that I I, I, I can't say that that I trust any company that I work for. It's a company. <laughs> it's an organization. I can't say that I trust my bank down the street. I mean, after 2020, I, I don't know if I can say that I trust my government. I don't know. I don't know if I trust, you know, you know, you get, so, but, 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 but we rather than demanding trust starting with better assumptions and saying that you know what people do make mistakes and that that's pretty normal right human error is pretty normal so when that actually happens we're not just going to blame shame and retrain and beat people right we're we're not just going to get air quotes hold them accountable for their human failings right just just, just using that one kind of underlying assumption that underlying belief as an example we automatically kind of start to move away from blame and that at least positions us better to move towards learning right and we're creating this environment that in which people can then be honest right because you're never going to overcome a person's ability or, or their need for self-preservation if i know that if I tell the org X, Y, Z, that I will be beat, shamed, and then fired, I'm just not going to tell the organization that, right? And it's kind of the same conversation that we toss around a bunch, and I've talked about it in like tons of podcasts around golden rules, right, as an example. Where if you, if, if I set up an environment that says that these are so sacred to me, these particular areas are so sacred to me, that if I hear whisper that you are thinking about having a violation or something that doesn't go perfectly right, you're fired. What do we think we're creating? It's the opposite of honesty. We're actually forcing our employees to be dishonest with the organization to preserve their self. Right? No, we, we call it uh, Lord of the Rings safety or, right. you know, <laughs> or Game of Thrones safety. Whereas <laughs> the moment the worker puts their head above the parapet, 
gets taken off. You're right, right. Yeah. Well, and that's 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 kind of and 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 to we'll circle back to the bud word buzz buzz buzz. I'm, I'm I don't know what's going on, Brent. It's the computer. It's my mouth. I I can't get words out. I don't know what's happening today. <laughs> but it's it's going back to kind of picking on psychological safety, right? Not picking on it, just kind of you know you know whatever we want to call it. But that idea, right, to kind of use the catchphrase from that a lot of folks use for psychological safety, it's the idea that you can stick your neck out, right, without the fear of having your head lobbed off. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, absolutely. Again, creating an environment in which I can tell the organization maybe things they don't want to hear. Sure. Right. To that conversation that I can have, well, look, yeah, I did that yesterday and the procedure didn't quite work. So I had to do this, this, and this. And I know, I, I, I know, I know it's probably a little bit outside the rules, but I'm comfortable enough sharing it with you to let you know that this procedure doesn't work in this particular situation. Now, we create the opposite environment in a lot of in a lot of organizations, though, right? Our rules are so sacred to us; they're they're almost our religious doctrines at this point. To where if we're caught even being just just a minuscule amount outside of those rules, we're gone or we're 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 sent out from the village, right, to live in the woods for three days without pay, <laughs> to think about our sins before we come back. So our folks can't share with us those vital areas where our systems aren't working for them, right? They can't share with us those opportunities where we can actually dig in and learn because they're fearful. And we use this, um, once again, bullshit language of uh, golden rules, life-saving rules. Right, right. I don't know about you, but I, I've never seen I've never seen a rule jump to life and save someone else's life before. Oh, I, 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 I wish, but <laughs> once again, that create that is affecting this whole thing of psychological safety. So what we see, Sam, is that by at least in a learning team where you've got a group of people, the fact is everyone's putting their head above the parapet, and it's much it's much harder to take the entire group's head off rather than right. the individual. Right. right. I mean, I do like a bit of Game of Thrones safety. I, I, I think yeah. we should bring that in. Like, a whole new genre. Um, but hey, look, don't say that. So, someone's going to market that if you. If you oh, say look, that. I, 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 I could, I could imagine. I, I actually, I, I actually did it the other week. I was working with a group of people, and they were hearing the story about this company that had built the uh, the wall of safety glasses. So that when workers came into the factory in the morning, they had to walk through this this wall of safety glasses. And it was a reminder about the importance of safety glasses. And I said, well, why don't we have a wall of hanging eyeballs dripping blood? Because if, if that's so important, why don't we go straight to trauma? Right. But that's, 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 that's really what we're going for, right? I mean, it's the same idea. I mean, organizations do that. We we do that actually, but we don't necessarily, you know. Like I'm a horror buff, so I'm just seeing like this 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 hallway of eyeballs. I just think it'd be really sweet, but <laughs> it's like Halloween decorations. I know what I'm gonna know what I'm gonna do for the yard this year. A tree full of eyeballs. Um, but, but we do that maybe in in not so kind of kind of an apparent way when we take stuff that not so great things that have happened. Right. And we, we put it into this really slick PowerPoint and then we share it endlessly for years after this thing has happened to memorialize the blood that was shed right at our location. And unfortunately, and, and hopefully, let me, let me say, hopefully that person that was involved in that event was alive, still alive, 
But unfortunately, when we do that, we're not just memorializing the event. We're putting that person on full public display because everyone knows who it was. Right? Every time that PowerPoint gets recycled for another, just another safety meeting, right? For the hundredth time this year, we're talking about the same event that happened to Bob. Bob's standing in the corner staring at his shoes going, I'm, I'm, so will somebody else get hurt, please? Yeah, so, well, uh, <laughs> Game of Thrones, but the witch. Right. And it's, yeah. it's this, it's this idea, right. That if we share all the pain that Bob suffered, if we just show people how painful it is to actually get hurt, then people will just stop getting hurt. But it, that still goes back to this idea that we fix safety. We, 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 we it's, this still goes back to this idea for us that we kind of take the easy approach kind of back to the kind of ease that we were talking about, that safety isn't an organizational problem. It's a worker problem. Right. And if it's a worker problem, we've got a couple easy buttons to fix that. We tell you to try harder. We tell you to pay more attention. And if you don't do those things, we'll just fire you. Well, yes. yes. So once again, uh, Game of Thrones is we'll cut right. your head off. Put right. Off, yeah, exactly. And stand it up out front. Our sword, our sword is much more dull, though. It takes about 10 whacks. Right. Before we okay. <laughs> so we make it super painful for the employee before before it gets to that point. Well, if it was the Romans that put a whole lot of costs up. So Sam, tell me all about the the revised book. And and uh, last night I was talking to my colleagues and we're asking, is it called is it called Safety Sucks Two? Safety Sucks Again? Safety Sucks More? <laughs> Safety Sucks Better? We're really intrigued. What are you going to call it? Well, so first off, I've got to say because I, I I keep sharing this. So I've already got another book title in mind for when we get to this utopian state that we all dream about, right? That's totally going to happen one day of writing safety sucked. I'm excited to write the book safety sucked, but, but in the meantime, in the meantime, (laughs) this, this upcoming release is called safety sucks, the manifesto, right? So. The original Safety Sucks, the bullshit and safety profession that they don't tell you about. We had a second expanded edition that we pushed out that just has, um, it's it's just exactly that. It's just expanded thought from the original book. Uh, go through and kind of expand throughout the chapters and then kind of add some of my thoughts now, kind of at, at the end of each chapter, right? But if I, exactly, some reflections. And if I had to describe the original Safety Sucks, it's more of the problem statement, right? That we face within the safety profession. Safety sucks the manifesto. And let me let me plug this here as well and say that I'm joined by a near and dear friend of mine, Ian Allison, who's co-authoring the book with me. And it's just been amazing to have kind of two kind of unique perspectives because Ian and I had this great way of beating each other up and pulling ideas out of each other. So I'm I'm sure you're familiar with that writing writing books with people. You get oh, folks that just just pull thought out of you. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> but our, our thought, our thought for this book wasn't as much to expand on the sucks. I, I feel like we we painted a pretty, at least a somewhat inclusive problem statement of the sucks that we normally face as safety practitioners. But in the manifesto, we're diving into a much deeper dive down the rabbit hole of our assumptions around safety in general that leads to the way that the safety practitioner viewed. And we take a stab. Again, I, I don't want to call it, we call it curative, not the cure, because there's a million right ways to do the same thing, yeah. right? But it's more of the curative side to a lot of the, what the first book talked about and just trying to make safety suck less in general. So it's, again, it's, it's, a, it's a much deeper dive into where the sucks of safety stem from. Right. And in our opinions, 
how we can try to make some of those things better. And again, I, I, I'm, I'm more into this school of thought to where I, I embrace the chaos. I don't like to paint linear order. I like chaotic, messy, and we embrace that fully in the book. So we leave some stuff pretty open-ended to say, well, there's where we have to come together to talk about fixing this. Because I definitely don't have the ideas. <laughs> this was an HDTV show. It would be the fixer-upper of saying right. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> a tool belt optional it's up to you sam thank you listeners for being part of this podcast we would love to hear your learnings or other topics you would like us to explore about learning teams go to www.podcastlearnings.com and give us your feedback Become part of the community of practice with learning teams. Go to www.learningteamscommunity.com, support the authors of the practice of learning teams, purchase the book from amazon.com or go to www.learningteamsbook.com for an inside look and other free book resources from the authors. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.